Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. General manager calls me in and says, you're about to begin your broadcasting career. Good luck. I said, thank you. He said, what name are you going to use? My name was Larry Zeiger. That you couldn't, yep. you could do that now. He didn't say you need another name. I'm going on the air in ten minutes. <laughs> see. And he had the Miami Herald open, and uh, there was an ad for King's Wholesale Liquors. So he says, "How about Larry King?" I says, "Okay." Welcome back to the Rise of the Young podcast. On today's episode, I am very excited for this one. It's It's been something that not only have I been looking forward to for years now, but it's, it's such a privilege to have today's guest on. And that person is the one and only Larry King. Thanks so much for coming on. Casey, my pleasure. So real quick, just to start this podcast off, we met through your son, Chance. So I had the privilege of meeting at a dinner with Tillman Fertitta, who's been on your show. And me and him, we've been able to connect and stay connected. And I know I just wanted to give a big shout out to Chance because he's been a real privilege getting to know him more. But just to start off the interview, what's been the most rewarding part of being a father? Oh, it's the most rewarding thing I've done in my life. Well, whatever you do in your life, nothing beats parenthood. Uh, I have five children, three grown, and then Chance and his brother, Cannon. And there's, there's, there's for the first time in your life, you're not a father yet, are you? Nope. No. 19. Okay. For the first time in your, when you're a father, when that little one comes out, that's the first time in your life someone is totally dependent on you. And it's also where the love is that you don't, you, in other words, I often say this, Lee Harvey Oswald's mother, he killed John Kennedy, and then he was killed. She was just as sad as John Kennedy's mother. One was a killer, one was killed. But the child is nothing like the child. So anything you do in life, the rewards are in your children. And I'm very rewarded. Yeah. That's amazing. And I want to touch on, so throughout your 60 years in broadcasting and being able to interview over 60,000 people, what makes people great, in your opinion? 
What makes people great in society? Yes. Every pers great person I've known is driven. And they, they have a kind of tunnel vision toward where they're going. And they, they do it in such a way that they can be shy, they can be boisterous, but that one element, that driving element, if you use the term great, I would, great is a battered around term. Uh, you know, he's great, she's great, he's yeah. great. Um, greatness is driven. So nowadays, after interviewing all these people, why do you still do what you do to this day? I don't know. <laughs> I'm I'm eternally curious, uh, and I've been I was curious I was a curious kid. And uh, when when I was a kid in Brooklyn, the Brooklyn Dodgers were famous, and they played at Ebbets Field, and I'd go with my friends. Yep. And my friends wanted autographs, and I never wanted autographs. I wanted to ask questions. So the ball players would come out after the game, and I'd watch them. Watch you do this way. <laughs> And so what I, this curiosity that I had as a child, I was able to take into making a living with what is my natural curiosity. So I have, Casey is the truth, I have not worked in 60 years. I mean, I go to a station and I tape and I do it. Yeah. I work. I get a chance to ask interesting people questions that come from the mind of curiosity. So I'll, they'll have to carry me out. I, I can't explain what a, what a joy it is to work at something you love. And my curiosity yeah. I love. And to work at it. You got, you got it right, Casey? You're curious. Absolutely. If you're going to be good at this, you have to be curious. Where do you believe people can find curiosity? I don't know if you could teach curiosity. Okay. Um, you know, I, I, there's a lot of schools around the country where they play tapes of my shows, and I'm, yep. I'm you know, Ohio State University. But, and I don't know that it's teachable. If you're not innately curious, I don't know if I can make you curious. Can I make you, a, you know, the key to good interviewing is listening. I have a motto, it's a good motto. I never learned anything when I was talking. Think I about it. it. I never learned anything when I was talking. So I've all my life tried to ask short questions and listen to the answer. Listening, a lot of times, you know, when you don't listen, you miss things. So a lot of people, they used to do a gag of this guy, a man on the street interviewer, where he interviews someone on the street and he says, yes, sir, what are you doing? And the guest says, well, I plan to bomb the UN building today. And the next question is, are you married? <laughs> uh, you have to listen. Listen Absolutely. is as much a part of curiosity as the question. So when it comes to communicating in interviews and bringing that curiosity to the table when you're sitting down with someone, how does one become a better communicator? 
work it. You got to work at it. Um, first, you first and foremost, you got to love it. If you don't yep. love it, you're in the wrong place. Once you have that love, then experience, and the more you do it, the better you are at it. And and you bring. You bring to it your curio you bring your curiosity to every show. And then it's transmitted through you to the audience. And I am a conduit. I try to ask the best questions I can, and hopefully the audience then gets the response yep. that I want them to get. And you can't there's no there's never been the perfect interview. You're always gonna miss something or you Depends on time, how much time do you have? But I've been blessed that most of my shows have been hourly, hourly radio. I did four hours of radio, five hours every night, yep. three-hour interviews, three-hour interviews. And still, you're going to miss something. You do, you do the, all you can do is all you can do. So when you're speaking like today to broadcasters or young people who want to get into this industry in 2019, what advice do you give to an 18-year-old who's looking to get into broadcasting? Do what Casey's doing. <laughs> uh, do a podcast. That's a good, okay. good way to start because today podcasts are so prevalent in the world. And um, today I would say college is necessary. I know, Casey, you're avoiding it. but um, For now. In most cases, college would be necessary. When I started, I didn't go to college. And when I started, you know, there were guys lied about colleges. They went to, <laughs> no, no one followed up. Uh, I started back in 1957, which seems like ages ago. Uh, but I say you need a good education, a solid education. And it's a good idea to not major in broadcasting. You know, when you go out into the field and you work in radio stations or a college radio station, yeah. that's good experience. But major in something else. Okay. So try to be as worldly as you can. So why do you believe college is more important today than it was 20 years ago? Because they're competition. Okay. There's a, probably, I think the number one major in America is communications. More people want to do what you're doing. Yeah, and if there's more people <clears throat> want to do it, the one who's better educated will more likely get the job. Like you're doing your own podcast, and this yep. is your own bailiwick. But if you want to go out into the world, you're going to have to go to a television station. Yep, and say I'd like to do my show here, and they say, okay, now you got an advantage. You got a podcast to show them. Yep, but if you could also show them a degree. If you and another guy are in there at the same time and one guy has a degree and you don't, he's going to get it. Got it. That makes sense. So just regarding the technology in the last 10 years and the changes that have happened since you started broadcasting, <laughs> how have you been able to continuously evolve with the technological, technological changes? I let the technology follow me. In other words, I, I don't do anything different. The back that I did in 1957. Who, what, where, when, why? I ask questions. Now, I'm delivered differently. I'm delivered though, on straight lines, satellite, <laughs> yeah. all these 
But to me, when I sit down at this microphone, it's the same as 60 years ago. I just ask questions. Now, the, the technology is such that it's, it's booming, it's incredible. Streaming services and all this, but I don't pay attention to that. Okay. I, I, I'm aware of it, yep. cognizant of it, but to me, all I do is be me. And if me's going to work, no, there's a lot of what I did on television isn't doing today. Long interviews, long-form yeah. interviews don't appear on commercial television. I hope that goes around, comes around. Why do you think it doesn't appear on there anymore? I don't know what happened. Because we're a society that's eat them up. Speed-driven? Uh, Speed-driven. Eight if interviews, you know, if you're going to do eight minutes, it's a lot. Yeah. Oh, boy, it's a lot. Wow, you got eight minutes, and so it's get up, good, do it fast, do it. Yep. And I've resisted that, so I'm able to bring my work to land to uh, where I do it now, where it's I don't know what you'd call what I do, but I'm in various different services that yeah. send me out. But I'm, it's always you. You got to be yeah. you. I hope that a lot of that changes. In other words, I'm not sure that broadcasting has evolved better. For example, when I grew up, we had three channels plus PBS. But on those three channels were Walter Cronkite, Huntley Brinkley. I mean, my God, yeah. what talent. I got to know Walter very well. I got the first Walter Cronkite Award. I. I'm not sure we're better today with 500 channels than we were with three. I don't know if we're better served. That makes sense. So when you look at this last 10 years, ending in 2019, moving into 2020, where do you believe people can capitalize moving into 2020 into this new decade? Capitalize where? On broadcasting. Capitalize? I don't know. You have to explain what you mean. Where do you see the opportunity for a young person? You said it's podcasting, correct? If they wanted to potentially be on TV or work with these bigger stations, you'd recommend being have them start a podcast. Is that correct? Oh, you're starting well. If that, if that <laughs> was, what's your goal? I don't know your yeah. goal. I would say for the people listening, it's to really take the podcast and turn it into more so from a broad perspective in terms of television and expand it there. But regarding television, how do you make that jump nowadays going from being in the podcast, having your own show, to therefore working with mainstream media? Well, you got something to show them. I mean, you got yeah. a collection of interviews, right? Yep. So you can show them. You bring those collections, or you certainly work it down to an hour tape Yep. that you can send. Do you eventually, what, I don't know your goal, Casey. Do you eventually want to have your own show on a commercial television station? Yes. That's your goal. Absolutely. You're going about it the right way. <laughs> Thank you. You do this and you do it very well and you earmark it and then do an edited version of you with various guests and bring it to a station and know your market. You know, look yep. at the market. How many stations are in the market? What are they looking for? But you can, you can, you can make it. Now the question is, can you make it in the eight-minute interview universe. Yeah, the quick speed. That makes sense. So regarding just the 60,000 interviews you've done and the impact you've had on those people and to the audience that has heard those, 
what do you want your legacy to be here on this earth? Well, my legacy. Oldest man who ever lived passed away today. That I would like to be the headline. Okay, who was it? My headline should be oh. oldest man who ever lived <laughs> passed it. away today. Uh, shot by an, uh, a lover. <laughs> <laughs> that would be the way to go. Um, my legacy. I think that I brought to the audience over the years a knowledge, more knowledge. They learned a lot. It was done in entertaining fashion. You know, you could read from the dictionary and it's boring. Yep. So you gotta, I, I, I entertained and informed. I did both. I did infotainment. Mm -hmm. I was always aware of pace and time. I never let an interview drag. I, I, I jumped in when it was time to jump in. But my legacy would be, I would say, he led a life of information and entertainment at the same time. And he had as much fun working with comics as he did working with presidents. Yeah. I enjoyed it all, whether it was Don Rickles or George Bush. I enjoyed it all and anything in between. What would you say has been the most important you've learned from presidents being able to sit down with dozens of them throughout your career? Almost every, um, every president, I've known seven. Actually, I know Trump the best because I was very friendly with Trump in New York when he was in the realtor business. Yeah. But presidents pre-Trump, because there's never been anything like Trump, uh, they were all, one thing we discussed, driven, it takes an enormous ego to say, hey, I am the best person to run this country alive. You vote for me and I'm the best. Yeah. So look at that, you start with that ego, and then you get into the core of their character. And I have, I have liked most politicians, because politicians do something we don't do, Casey. They put themselves on the line. There will be that. there will be a Tuesday when someone's going to click your name and you're willing to stand up to take that risk of being defeated. Man, what it must be like to be defeated, you know. And you're going to have yeah. defeats in your life to run for office, and if the other guy gets more votes than you, you were rejected. Can you come back from rejection? Life's rejections. And in politics, politicians get rejected. Yeah. Every two years, every four years. Do you believe that young people today are approaching politics correctly? Do you believe it's been a generational gap? Or how do you look at politics for the I, I don't know, because I don't know how many young people are getting into it. How yeah. many, like, do you want to hold office? No. Not in my interest. I never wanted to hold office. But I had respect for those who did want yep. to hold office and who put themselves out in front of the public. I don't know how many young people, are they turned off by politics today? Uh, a good measure will be, let's see how they vote. 
Yep. Let's see, in 2020, let's see how many people between the ages of 19 and 24 go to the polls. Yeah. So speaking of 2020, what, it's, what excites you the most moving into this new year? Oh, an election year, everything's used. There's nothing, <laughs> like, there's nothing like an election year because, I mean, I've gone to so many conventions and interviewed people in New Hampshire and out yeah. on the hustings in Michigan and Iowa. Those were great days. There's an excitement. You're choosing a president. Yeah. And it's a, it's a, a presidential election year, nothing. Nothing more exciting. Okay. Nothing. So I, that means you're going to be doing a lot of interviews with people, correct? <laughs> yeah. So looking back on your career, throughout the time you started 60 years ago interviewing people, did you have a mentor that motivated you to get into what you're doing? Not so much a mentor, but I had people who helped me a lot. Arthur Godfrey was a, you probably don't even know the name. I do not. He was... Um, I'll tell you how big a personality he was. He was 33% of CBS's income. Wow. He did radio and television every day. He had a talent scout show. He, he mentored me in that I knew him when he came to Miami. Jackie Gleason, the great comic, was very good to me. I had people around me that supported me. And that, that, that was lucky. You know, that I had that. Yeah. And it's sad that I would mention a name that you don't know, Arthur Godfrey. Godfrey was amazing, an amazing technician of radio he was. He could paint pictures. He took risks. I tell you, Arthur Godfrey, he did a commercial one morning for Jiffy Peanut Butter. And I was homesick from school. I guess I was 16, maybe. Okay. And Godfrey said, you know, I tell you about Jiffy Peanut Butter every morning, but how do you, how do you know it's good? I'll tell you what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna open a jar and eat peanut butter from a jar. Now, you cannot eat peanut butter and talk at the same time. It's impossible. <laughs> yep. So he started to say, oh, I got dressed, went down to the grocery store, and bought a Jiffy peanut butter off that delivery wow. to me. Now, I, never, I was 16. Yeah. I never forgot that. And later on in years, I would tell him when I met him about that. And he said it was just another day of taking risks. All great broadcasters take risks. Speaking on that, when you originally went to Miami to start your broadcasting career, what made you decide to do that? I always wanted to be in radio and television, of course. I always wanted to be in communication. I got out of school. I had a bunch of odd jobs. I mean, I had odd jobs. I was a delivery boy on the United Parcel Service truck. I sold home delivery of milk but I always wanted to be on the radio. So from age 18 to 22, I did a bunch of odd jobs. One day I'm walking down the street in New York and a friend introduced me to James Sermons, who was the uh, director of announcers at CBS. 
And I said to him, what, what would you recommend? Here I am, got no money, got no father. I'm a lonely kid, I'm out of high school four years. I want to break in the radio, what would you recommend? And he said, well, go to Miami. There's a lot of stations, it's not union, and in Miami you'll have older people or younger people. There's not many 40-year-olds. So you got a chance to break in. And that was, I went down to Miami, knocked on doors, got turned away by stations. And I'll tell you my first day on the air, I finally got a job. Can't believe it, I'm gonna be on the air. I'm gonna be a disc jockey. I, Monday, May 1st, 1957 was my first day. So that whole okay. weekend, I practiced Good morning, good morning, good morning. How are you? Good morning. Here, here's Frank Sinatra, here's a record. Here. Yep. I was so pent up. Now it's the morning I'm going on the air for the first time, Casey. I'm 23 years old. The general manager calls me in and says, you're about to begin your broadcasting career. Good luck. I said, thank you. He said, what name are you going to use? My name was Larry Zeiger. That you couldn't, yep. you could do that now. He said, You need another name. I'm going on the air in 10 minutes. <laughs> he said. And he had the Miami Herald open, and uh, there was an ad for King's Wholesale Liquors. So he says, How about Larry King? I says, Okay. Now I go into the studio. I'm playing Les Elgard Swinging Down the Lane, my theme song. I lower the record, turn on the mic, and nothing comes out. I up, bring up the record again, lower the record, and nothing comes out. And I'm looking at the clock, and I've been on for two minutes, and I haven't said a word. The music is fading up and down. And I said to myself, am I, am I going to fail? Am I too scared? I wanted to do this. Am I too scared? And the general manager, Marshall Simmons, kicked open the door to the control room. And he said, this is a communications business. Damn it, communicate. I tell you what I did, Casey. Yep. Turned on the microphone and said, ladies and gentlemen, this is my first day ever on the air. You've heard this record go up and down. It's because I'm nervous. All my life I wanted to be in radio. And now I'm in radio this morning. And I've just been given a new name, Larry King. That's my name. It's the first time I've said that. My name is wow. Larry King. And I'm going to ask you, audience, to bear with me. It's my first day. Okay. I learned something that day that's true 60 years later. Be honest with the audience, and you can't miss any goof I made that day. If you're listening, hey, it's yep. his first day. In other words, I can't tell you how important it is to be honest with your audience. Look at that. I was honest that morning. If someone's listening to that story and they ask themselves if they haven't been honest and they want to be on air, how does honesty play a role long-term in broadcasting? Oh, you can't last long-term. There's no successful person who is fooling the audience. You could fool them for yep. a little bit of a time. But if you've been around a long time, you're doing something right. Yeah. Um, the audience will let you know when you're doing something wrong. But you I had to do something right the last 60 goddamn years. 
That's a long time. Yeah. I can't even believe I'm my age to, to last that long. So yeah. anybody who lasts a long time is doing something right. And honesty would play a big part of it. You can't fool, you can fool them once. You can't fool the audience. So looking back, um, I, I love your book and where you say, I feel I'm 83, but I feel like I'm 17. What do you mean by that when you say that? Because I, I, I've never lost my youthful feeling. I mean, look, okay. I'm 80 goddamn six years old. That's all. Yep. I, I just had a mild stroke. I got to get my left foot working again. I'm, uh, I've had a long career. Technically, my career ended today. It turned out fine. But I, I just keep at it. I just yeah. I just want to do it because I love doing it, man. When you're doing something you love, if you love what you're doing right now, Casey, nothing can stop you. You got to love it. Got to love yeah. it. You can't just say, oh, yeah, I like, I like doing it. It's okay. Where do you believe the love for it has continued? Has it continued to grow throughout your entire career? I don't know where it could grow from because I had it right from the beginning. So I don't know if I'd call it grow. Uh, okay, it's just always been there. It's all. It's always been there. It was there when I was twenty-three, and it was. It was there when I was thirty-three and sixty-three, and I'm counting up all the threes. <laughs> I just been, and also I. I'm grateful. I've been very fortunate. You. You. I. I was fortunate to go to Miami. Yep. Fortunate to get the break at that small station. You know, there's always the left turn, right turn. What had happened? What would have happened to me if I didn't run into James, James Sermons on the street that day? If I didn't have someone tell me to go to Miami? Yeah. What would have happened? Now, I've asked this of others, and they all say I'd have been a success no matter what. <laughs> I'd, have, you know, I'd have broken in somewhere. It might have been in Oklahoma. Yep. But I'd have... I'd have made it because I had that energy talent. I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure about left turn, right turn. What if I may, what if different things had happened in my life? My father died when I was nine. So I had no male parental influence through formidable years. Uh, my mother never remarried and uh, we were on relief for two years, New York City paid for my first pair of glasses. What if my father had lived? Mm -hmm. Would I have taken a different course? Would I always want to be in radio? What would have happened yeah. if he had lived? He was a strong guy, and he was strong on me, and he drove me, but then he died. What, what would have happened if he didn't die? What was the, what's the lesson that you took from your father during those nine years, do you have one? No, I was so young. Well, I'll tell you a story about my father once. He, his rule was, do not go up to strangers. If a stranger calls you, don't go up to a stranger. Right. I had a broken arm. I was home from school. I was eight years old, sitting in a stoop in front of my house, 
a big black car pulls up. A guy gets out of the car, hooded guy. He says, hey, kid, come here. I freeze. He says, hey, kid, come here. I walk over to the car. He opens up the trunk, and he's got a thousand comic books. And he's given them all to me. And he, I said, what? And he said, I told my son if he disobeyed me one more time, I'm going to take every comic book he's got and give it to the first kid I see, and you're the first kid I see. Now I'm carrying all these comic books up to my apartment, and my father comes home. What happened? I said, look at this, Pop. 8,000 comic books. How'd you get them? This guy pulled up and called me over. You went over to him? He took the comic books and burned them. My father. <laughs> He, ta he taught me a lesson. Wow. I don't know what the lesson was because I <laughs> loved comic books. Yeah. But he, that's, he, was, he was a tough guy. And he, I remember once we were sitting around the table for dinner. I was here. My brother was there. He was three years younger. My father was here and my mother there. And my father's eating soup. And he said to me, uh, how is... Uh, how was your uh, Hebrew school today? I had to go to Hebrew school after work. I said, fine. He go, whack! <laughs> I flew off the table. Boom, and he kept eating soup. And he said to me, never lie. A friend of his told him that I didn't go to Hebrew oh, school at that. Okay. But he did, it, he did it in one motion. Yeah. <laughs> Bam! Yep. That's amazing. <laughs> so what would have happened if, Eddie, if he had lived? I don't know. There are little things you don't know, too. Yeah, absolutely. So, coming from Miami, what brought you to California? I took a circuitous route. 20 years in Miami, 20 years in Washington, and 21 in Los Angeles, 61 years altogether. The show in Miami got very big, and uh, they decided they'd have an all-night radio show nationally. I was known in Miami. That sent me out nationally. I went to Washington because they wanted me to be close to politics and everything. And then after 20 years in Washington, um, during that time, Ted Turner had gotten me on CNN, and then the O.J. Simpson trial happened. So I came out here for that trial, stayed out here, met a young lady, married her, had children. So those are the only three, the four cities I've lived in are New York, Miami, Okay. Washington and Los Angeles. I've always lived in big cities, never lived in a small town. Okay. When someone nowadays, let's say is my age, 19 years old, when they're f trying to figure out where to move, what advice would you give them when they're embarking upon their career? I, I, don't, I don't know where you have to settle today. I, well, see, we, we lived in terms of markets. Mm -hmm. LA was a big market, New York a big market, Chicago was a big market. I don't know if that's true today. I don't know how much technology has changed to where do you have to go to a big market to become yeah. big? Do you have to? I would think it's still true. If you want to make it, you got to make it in New York. If you can make it there, you can make yeah. it anywhere. That's a true line, and it's the, it's the truth. So I would say you got to engineer your career toward a big city. Make it. Oh, another thing. If you get a chance to go to work at a big station in the mail department, take it. Get in. Why? 
because once you're in, you got contacts that the guy out there doesn't have. So even though you're in the mail room, you're sorting mail, you're getting close to the general manager of the station, you tell him, you know, hey, give me a shot. Give yeah. me a shot. Let me do a Sunday show, whatever. Yep. And you're there. And nothing like being there. So take whatever job you can to get in so you can move up. And all of the, a lot of it is contacts. There's talent and there's contacts. I was, someone said to me once, is there a great broadcaster in Meridian, Mississippi? A great talent in Meridian, only if he wants to stay in Meridian, Mississippi. Mm. If he wants to get out and he can't get out of Meridian, Mississippi, he's not good enough. Now, if you want to stay yeah. and you got family, that's fine. That makes sense. So coming from going from Miami to Washington to LA and throughout your career, what characteristic about yourself do you believe you'd want to pass on to someone listening to this today that would allow them to have My a successful career? Well, I have a sense of humor. Yeah. I've always been able to laugh at things. I love comedians. Characteristics. And honesty. Yep. I love laughing. I love making people laugh. In fact, Casey, the truth be known, despite this incredible career, the thing I enjoy the most, the most, is standing on a stage, a bare stage, with an audience and making them laugh. I, I would have been a stand-up comedian if I weren't doing what I'm okay. doing. I did a comedy tour a couple of years ago. Whenever I speak at conventions, it's always not serious. I love getting up on a bare stage, nobody there to help you, no script, audience of 2,000, make me laugh. Make them laugh. And when I, when I do that, it's the biggest high there okay. is. There's no bigger high. You're making people laugh? Oh, my God. What, what, what do you think drives that passion for making people laugh? I don't, I don't, well, yeah, it's such a high to make someone laugh because laughter is, um, you can't fake it. So when you stand there and you're, you're telling a story or a joke and you're about to deliver the punchline, <laughs> that moment between your delivery of the punchline and the audience getting it, that moment, and when they laugh, it's bigger than sex. <laughs> there, there, there's, nothing, there, there's nothing higher for me. Yeah. So I always get a kick of, of going out and making personal appearances, but I never speak seriously, I always okay. have fun. Do you have a favorite joke? No, 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 it's impossible to have a favorite <laughs> joke. Yeah, the jokes come yeah. everywhere. There's jokes. And, uh, a guy walks up to a cop in New York and says, "How do I get? How do I get to uh, Central Park?" And the cop says, "Pearl Harbor, you could find." So you didn't get that, Casey. I don't think so. We they bombed Pearl Harbor. A Japanese guy. Oh. Never mind. <laughs> got it. Got it. So. I have, really to, to wrap it up, just regarding 
speaking to the youth, this show and who I believe this audience that you're speaking to right now can impact is a lot of young people that are looking to start their careers and looking to have a long, successful career. Looking back on the daily habits, do you have any daily rituals or habits that you've instilled? I'm, I'm very ritualistic oriented. Okay, what does um, that look like in your life? That means I have breakfast at the same place every day with the same group of friends. I read at the same times. I watch, I watch my sporting events. In other words, my life, I don't have to advise this, is very categorized. I lead a life of I want to be sure of where I'm having breakfast. I don't experiment okay. with breakfast. I don't. Ex I have friends that have been with me forever. Where does that structure come from? You believe in your life? Did you just create it, or is it was it just natural to I you? Th I think it was natural to me. I so much of my life came. I don't know where. It, I tell you, Casey. I don't know where where it is or how it got here. As I said, I'm grateful for everything that's happened. But I pinch myself a little bit every day because I realize I have been one lucky cat. Uh, someone said once, anybody who is successful and discusses their life and doesn't use the word luck is lying. Luck played is that left turn, right turn again. Was I lucky enough to meet James Sermons on the street in New York, who told me to go to Miami? That was luck. Makes makes sense. And if you're lucky enough to be lucky, as Joe DiMaggio said, I'd rather be lucky than good. Because if you're lucky, that goes with you a long way. With luck, do you believe that's something unpredictable? Do you create your own luck, or how, what do you think about that? Well, I think it's both. You you make your own. You make you certainly make your own. You make your own division. Yeah. Uh, Branch Rickey, the great general ma baseball general manager, said, "Luck is the residue of design." In other words, you design your luck. You make it happen. I listened to James sermons, so I was lucky to meet him. But then I had to do something with that. Yeah, it's a two-pronged thing. Yeah. So last question to wrap it up, Larry. Sixty thousand interviews over sixty years in this field of broadcasting and communicating. What advice would you give to the person that's just getting on air today that would want to embark upon this journey? Be yourself. Know your goals, be honest with your audience, have faith in your, your ability, and stay with it. Don't give up. You'll have bad days, and there'll be days when things don't go the way you want. Don't give up. And if you can give up, you're in the wrong profession. If I could talk you, if you want to be in television, I could say, nah, tough business, and you see it, and you take that advice, you're not made for it. Yeah. Stay with it. Love it. 
Well, Larry, I just want to say thank you so much for, for coming on the Rise Down thank podcast you, today. What is something pleasure. exciting about that you'd want to let the people know about where they can learn more about what you're up to? Oh, I'm up to a lot of things. I'm, <laughs> I'm, doing, my, I'm, I'm doing my show every day on yep. Hulu and RT and Aura. And I'm still around. I let, I let the audience know. I'm 86 years old. I had a stroke. I'm recovering from it. I'm getting better. I have trouble walking, but I'm around. And I'll always be around because they're going to have to carry me out. I love it. Thank you so much. Thank you, Casey.